What's up everyone, this is Emmanuel and you're listening to Crypto Testers, the podcast focusing all things product in the crypto industry. In today's episode, I talk to Simon Chamorro, who is the founder of Value, a young Colombia-based startup that tries to help the 1.7 million refugees and migrants from Venezuela living in Colombia to send money back to their relatives. Unfortunately, no international remittance company allows those people to send money back into their country. So Value uses Bitcoin to create a platform where users can transfer Colombian pesos to Venezuelan Bolivares in less than one hour. Users can also opt to hold their money in their Value account in form of synthetic dollars backed by Bitcoin in order to protect themselves from the inflation happening in Venezuela. But before we jump into the show, I want to thank our sponsor Bitwalla. Bitwalla is Germany's crypto flagship company. They offer users in Europe a full-fledged bank account, including deposit insurance and other things, as well as an integrated Bitcoin and Ethereum wallet. So using Bitwalla, you can move your money seamlessly between your euros and your crypto. They keep on adding new features such as their recently launched Bitcoin interest account, allowing users to earn interest on their Bitcoin. I highly recommend you check them out. I will post a link in the show notes. Hey, Simon. Hey, Lito. How are you? Excellent, man. Excellent. Yeah, I'm super happy to talk to you today. I read about you guys in an article on Coindesk and immediately reached out to you because I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. I love this whole idea of like empowering the unbanked and people in, in countries that are in financial distress and authoritarian countries. And I think many companies in crypto claim that their products help the unbanked just because the technology that they use is theoretically like accessible uh, to anyone in the world, but they really ignore the need for education and uh, marketing that is needed to spread crypto in a, in a certain uh, country. But it seems like you guys are really doing exactly this. I think you're from Venezuela, but you're based in Colombia and you really understand the market that you're operating in. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to hear all that experience that you gained by launching this product. But maybe I would love to start by talking about your personal story in, in Venezuela and then how you got into Bitcoin. Sure. And thank you for, for that intro. I guess my personal story in Venezuela, it's actually quite short. Um, I grew up there. Uh, my dad's from Venezuela. I was born there. My mom's Colombian. And I, at 13 years old, I went to live in Spain. I played professional soccer. And that's the first time I left the country. But since I was very young, uh, because in my family, I guess politics uh, was like a daily topic at dinners and stuff like that. My family was always against the government of Chavez, who was the president who basically started this whole communist socialist ideal. And, and the crazy thing is that many, many people were supporting him at the first election. Uh, luckily, my family was not, my dad was not, and he taught me all these uh, concepts and politics from, from very early. Um, and I kind of felt since very, very early the direction in which the country was going. 
I was not very optimistic about it. And I started looking for opportunities outside. After Spain, I quit soccer. I quit professional soccer. Came back to Venezuela for a year, finished high school, and then went to school in the U.S. So that's basically my story in Venezuela. But living in, in, in Venezuela during those times, I was able to see the economic uh, collapse, the, the authoritarian government, the mismanagement of the country, and all these policies, monetary policies and, uh, and non-monetary policies that basically destroyed the country. So in 2014, after graduation in co college, I went to work in Miami and I got into crypto through Ethereum actually. And uh, I quickly just was able to grasp the concepts and uh, the technicalities of cryptocurrencies and why they were a better uh, monetary solution than fiat currencies. Just basically comparing what happened in Venezuela with uh, what could potentially be a world where uh, people transact uh, in crypto and everybody holds their own custody and all of those things. So um, that's essentially my, my story in Venezuela. So after, after Miami, I came to Colombia working for multiple startups in the consumer space, in the B2B space. And here in Colombia is that I was able to finally build value and build this crypto startup, which is very focused on, on, on the Venezuelan diaspora, the Venezuelan migration and Venezuela uh, and helping re rebuild the economy in Venezuela. Well, that's amazing that you played professional football in Spain. I, I'm a big fan. Um, let's talk after the podcast about this. But um, okay, so you lived in Spain and came back to Venezuela, then moved to Miami and actually then moved back to Colombia, gained some experience in the startup space and decided to build a product to, to solve um, that problem that you experienced firsthand in Venezuela. And can you maybe describe in your own words how... Uh, the situation got so bad in Venezuela because, I mean, we always hear those terms like inflation and governments printing money. But from your own observations, how did the country get there and how is like everyday life for the people in Venezuela? Yeah, oof, this can be a, a very long uh, answer, <laughs> a very long conversation. Um, It, it really, uh, I'm not like an expert in politics and this is, this is not a, an easy thing to do. Um, it's important to, to, to mention that to basically destroy a country at, at, a, at the speed it was destroyed systematically. The way um, basically Cuba, Cuba was one of the orchestrators of this whole thing through the relationships they had with Chavez and with later with Maduro and, and now even influence from Russia and, and other communist countries. Um, and, um, and so doing this was definitely, uh, um, something that is going, going to be in the history books. Um, you know, Venezuela was, was the, the, the richest country per capita in, in Latin America, very, very rich country. It still has the largest petroleum reserves in the world. Uh, but you know, they're not being actually used or produced in, in large ways because the mismanagement of the country, basically, uh, we had the refineries, uh, I think two of the, of the three largest refineries in, in the continent, and they now are not uh, working because of mismanagement. And in general, um, the way that we got here is because once the Chavez earned his, his power in, in his first period of, of presidency, there was a queue. Chavez was not doing a great job. There was a queue from the military. Everybody was super happy, with at least like half of the country. And he came back and the, the, uh, the military brought him back because the guy that they put uh, in power for that one night 
was uh, was also starting to change a lot of policies, and, and the military got scared. This is the story. Um, they got scared, and they they brought Chavez back, and then he comes back with more power, more strength, and essentially he he brings these machines for voting, uh, virtual machines instead of using paper voting, and these machines were essentially hacked. So since there his second election. I believe that he already uh, started cheating since his second ele election. And this is hard to prove. And there's a lot of people working on proving this. But his first elections were the only ones he constitutionally won. Mm. And um, basically, since that's just one of the examples of basically the, the things that he, he did. And secondly, he used a lot of uh, hate speech and, and division between classes, especially if you were like well off or middle class. You were, he puts your names, uh, Squalidos is what, what he called us. And the rest, it was the, the people, the people that is with me. And like, and so this separation started to happen. A lot of uh, hate started to happen. He then quickly turned his back on the private sector, which at the beginning, his speech was that he was going to improve the private sector. And then he just turned his back on them and started doing what we call expropriation, which is, I don't know if the word in English is expropriation, which is taking private companies and paying whatever the government wants to pay, which is usually not the right price. And then they manage what, what that company. One of the one of the biggest examples is PDVSA, which is the petroleum of Venezuela, which was a private company. And he nationalized it. He basically took all that money for his own interest. And then he started basically spending that money in favors with Argentinians communist government, with Bolivians communist government, with Ecuador's communist government, with Russia, with China, and, and, and the list goes on. So mm. um, basically he's, he used the, the country's money for, for his own interest and, and started derailing from there. We were lucky at least until 20, 2008 that the petroleum uh, barrel was at a really high price. So maybe Chavez was lucky, not the Venezuelan people. And uh, because of that, everybody thought he was doing a great job. You know, the economy was booming. Uh, people, there was a lot of money because, you know, but like a petroleum rich country, high barrel uh, of petroleum. And, and he still only had eight years. So he still hadn't totally fucked up the country. And, um, and so uh, after he died in 2012, I think, or, or um, around those years, Maduro takes over and then it's just getting worse from there. So basically, those are a few of the things that happen. You know, it, it really is a systematic deconstruction of the country and it takes a lot of years and it takes a lot of uh, things that have to happen for, for that to be successful. And unfortunately, that happened and, and the people, uh, is the, at the end, the citizens, the people is the, the one who got affected uh, yeah. by this. So we have now, the, I think, the largest diaspora in, in recent history. I think we just passed Syria. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I was just going to ask. So today the situation is so bad that many people are fleeing the country and a large amount of them live in Colombia nowadays. Do you know how many people live in Colombia or how many Venezuelans live in Colombia? Sure. Officially, <laughs> 1.7 million. So it's okay. really hard uh, to, to quantify it. Um, there's a lot of institutions that are actually doing a really good job. Colombian migration, I was impressed by how good of a job they're doing with this, these numbers and this data. But in general, it's really hard to quantify because there's three legal ways. Most people, so the middle to middle high class usually migrates to Miami, sometimes to countries such as Mexico, maybe Spain and, and stuff like that. 
but the the middle class or middle low class socioeconomically they 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 usually migrate through colombia they take a bus to the border of colombia which is our uh, largest uh border country mm -hmm. and three legal ways to pass through colombia which you have to pay i forget the number but it's it's like a hundred bucks uh which is which is a lot um for for venezuelans and and but if you want to leave the country through what we call a green uh, track or um, a green way, um, you pay some military probably five dollars and then you can pass with your family. So it, it is really hard to quantify. And not only because of that, but also because basically the tables turned back in the day. Venezuela was a, a rich country and Colombia was in, in an internal war with the guerrilla for 40 years. And. It was a very, very poor country, Colombia, back in the day, because most of their, their money was being spent in the internal military to fight, to fight them. Mm -hmm. And uh, most people uh, migrated to Venezuela. And we, had, we received 5 million migrants, which is more than double what Venezuelans have come to Colombia. And so you have this large population of Venezuelans that have double nationality, that have Colombian nationality. So um, that also makes it really hard to quantify. So legally, there's 1.7 million. Um, and but I, I I suspect there there's actually two two point five million. Mm, understood. Yeah, I, actually I was at this border myself. Uh, you're talking about La Guajira, right? This desert region of Colombia. La Guajira is one of the places. There's Cúcuta, which is another. Is I guess the most famous one. And there's there's some, uh, there's a few of them. But yeah, La Guajira yeah. is a large one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was seeing how they were basically smuggling oil uh, across the border and selling it for uh, much more than they could get in, in Venezuela. And especially, I think they would get paid in dollars. They would sell it in Colombia. So it was super interesting to see that firsthand. But um, yeah, so let, let's talk a bit more about those 1.7 million kind of migrants who are living in, in Colombia. So I think those are the ones that really inspired you to uh, build value, right? The, the company. What, what is the problem that uh, they face in Colombia today? Basically, it's a combination. What, what really, I guess, um, set me up on this, on this path to, to build value is that first, uh, my passion that I started building up since 2014, 2015 in the space, in crypto, I was never really technical uh, about it. And, uh, but I was reading a lot about it, like being informed and studying it. Um, and finally, I, we found a solution using crypto to help Venezuelan migrants in Colombia, in every Latin American country, but we're starting in Colombia because, because it's the country that hosts the majority of them, um, to send money back home. And, 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 and the reason why we're doing this through crypto, uh, which is a question I get asked a lot, is because of twofold. Venezuela has monetary policies, uh, specifically capital controls, since a very long time ago. They're not necessarily uh, enforcing them anymore because they're just basically surviving over there. And so you, you, you know that there's a lot of cash dollars moving around. But in general, because of these controls and sanctions around the world, it's almost impossible to send a wire transfer to Venezuela. You can Western Union or these traditional uh, remittance companies don't, don't work there anymore. I think recently MoneyGram just started sending money from the US to Venezuela. I don't even know how they're doing that. But in general, most of these companies don't work. And so what happened is that you know money will always find its way. And what happened is that 
a black market was was created and and this black market is essentially a business of a few a few people that uh, sell bolivars the local fiat in venezuela to and they resell these accounts uh in bank accounts basically they have a bunch of bolivars in bank accounts they resell these accounts to people in the border of colombia most of the times cucuta la guajira and these this these people in, in Cucuta and La Guajira are called big retailers. <laughs> uh, and um, and that they're, they're basically then reselling those accounts to uh, other smaller, uh, uh, basically, cambistas is what they call themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's in the best case scenario. It's like a, it's like a three people, uh, a three uh, intermediary chain. Um, and, but if it can go up to six or seven. And everybody, of course, makes a cut. And because it's an informal and black market, somebody in, in the chain can just take the money and, and disappear, right? And so that happens a lot. Uh, there's, there's around about 30% fraud in, in, through this market. And the interesting thing is that now Venezuela is the large, second largest uh, remittance corridor or remittance rec recipient of inflows in in, Latin, in in the whole continent, actually, after Mexico. So, which of course, Mexico is by far number one of remittances coming from the U.S. And so, and so, it, it, it's really an interesting thing what's happening. Uh, seven over seven billion dollars being sent to Venezuela through this black market, where people are getting scammed, where people are getting charged, whatever. Um, where um, it takes a lot of a lot of time to, to deliver the money in Venezuela. Usually, people, you know, if you want to send the money now at 9 a.m., the uh, the money arrives at 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. What happens is that the even even in one day, because of hyperinflation, your money can be worth less. So that's another issue. So what we're doing is helping solve that problem. Yeah. Can you explain that again? So how does the money get into the country? Someone in Colombia gives it in cash to someone who has a bank account in Venezuela and that person in Venezuela then gives it to another person in Venezuela until it reaches the, the recipient. So it, it depends on some person having a bank account in Colombia and in Venezuela and kind of bridging the two countries. Is, is that correct? Uh, not a little, it's, it's almost correct. So in Venezuela, um, 70 plus percent of the population owns a bank and, and, and this is a large number for Latin America. This is actually the country where, where people have the most bank accounts, uh, or the, the, the largest banked country in, in Latin America, if I may. And, and 99% of the people have somebody in their families or in their household who, who has a bank account. So why, why, why everybody has a bank account because of hyperinflation. As you know, um, we have the largest hyperinflation in recent history, the second, the second largest in, in, in human history. And bills uh, or cash just couldn't keep up with that in those numbers. They were just so large. Uh, actually, we have taken eight zeros out of our currency. And today, what it's about $5, it's around 1 million bolivars, uh, give or take. And and in reality, five dollars is one trillion bolivars. So of course, the government started taking out zeros. Even with taking out zeros, the bills just couldn't keep up because they had to, you know, buy new bills from Switzerland most of the times um, at a really fast pace, like every month, because the inflation was so fast. And so they they just said, you know, fuck it, we're not gonna buy any more bills. I think Switzerland said we're not gonna sell you anymore. And, and luckily, people migrated to, to opening bank accounts. So the way people use money in Venezuela today is by swiping their debit cards, essentially. 
Um, and this is kind of like the middle middle class, right? If, if you are well off, there's still a, a rich class in Venezuela uh, that essentially transacts mostly in cash dollars or through uh, PayPal or through Cell or through Venmo actually as well. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of the economy in, in Caracas, which is the capital mostly, that is actually happening in the US, but like the transactions are happening in the US, but people are, you know, interacting uh, on those transactions in, in, in Venezuela. Yeah, it's, this is um, so interesting. And, and they sign up to these accounts with the IDs of family relatives that they have in the US, right? Because I guess Venezuelan would not be able to sign up to a PayPal account. Yes, and so what happened is that a lot of these people that actually have a, a sale account, they, they either, it's really easy to get a, a US bank account. Actually, you don't need to be American. So a lot of these people just fly to the US, open a bank account, and then they open Venmo, and, and it's quite, quite simple. Um, a lot of the times they have family that are residents or have a green card in the US, and then they, their families kind of like lend the, the accounts to them. So there's a lot of things happening, but in general, if you have sell or PayPal, you're kind of like the 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 one percent of, of Venezuela, no? Um, mm. And um, but 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 in general, people in Venezuela have a bank account, and people that are in Colombia, most of them don't. It takes them about one one to two years to to set up to get settled in, in Colombia, and so for the migrants. So what what the way it works today is that these informal exchanges or black market uh, houses, they have been improving a lot on, on ways to get paid. So you can either meet them in person in Colombia and give them the cash, or you can send them money through a national payment network. We have a lot of those internally here. Um, and so if the, if, the, if the black market exchanger lives in Cúcuta, uh, you can send him money from Bogota, which is the capital of Colombia, through these national payment networks. That's how they get paid here locally in Colombia. And then they deliver the bolivars in a, in a bank account in Venezuela just by mm. doing, they have a bunch of people, like 50 people sitting down in computers making bank transactions all day. Okay. And that's in the money in Venezuela. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. People get so creative when it comes to money. Like, uh, they really f always find a way to, to deliver money where it's needed. But yeah, I, I would love to talk more about like how value works. But just before we get into that, could you explain how you started all of this? Because so you, you see this problem in front of your eyes, but I mean, I guess you're still pretty young. Like, how did you start it? Who did you turn to? Yeah, so um, luckily... Um I have a great team with me and my co-founders are, are also really, really smart and great people. So um, it's, I guess, more than how I started, how, how, we, how we did it. And luckily I had the experience of working in, in a couple of um, uh, startups in Latin America that grew really fast uh, and I was in the founding team. So I was able to live that experience of building a, a, company, a large company really quick. One of my other co-founders had that like, same experience with another company and uh, our CTO, David, who is the third, the third co-founder, he built actually a crypto ATM company in, in the US. Um, then he worked on a protocol and so he was also really knowledgeable about uh, insights on, in the space and ideas. So we actually uh, value and, and, and helping people send money and remit money back home. It's, it's actually a kind of like a, a result of, of an insight that David, that David had. And, and we had like 
we worked on like two or three different ideas uh, before we actually did value. Before we, we, had, we wanted to do something like a portfolio of different cryptocurrencies uh, instead of investing in one. Uh, we had like a, an algorithm from Harry Markowitz, which was a Nobel Prize. And then we will help you invest in cryptocurrencies, even though you didn't know. And we would try to like give you a, an exact return of your investment through a portfolio of crypto. Um, and that's really, really hard to do. Then we switch and we try to do like a mining, a cloud mining uh, software. And then we finally ended up doing value. And, mm -hmm. and the insight is that through the crypto ATMs in the US, most of the people that were buying uh, crypto were Venezuelan and Nigerian. And so David started calling them and people told him that they were buying cryptocurrency with cash in the US, these Venezuelan or Nigerian migrants, and that they were sending those those bitcoins back back to their families, and they were usually sending it to peer-to-peer -peer exchanges such as local bitcoins or Paxful. And then people would either keep their bitcoin there because it was more stable than the local currency, or they would just sell their bitcoin in in Colombia or, or in Venezuela or, or Nigeria for the local fiat. And so we basically took that insight and and and, and we saw that there was a lot of liquidity in local peer-to-peer -peer exchanges in, in Colombia and Venezuela we uh we figured out how to automate most of the process and uh and so basically we that's how kind of like we we started yeah that makes so much sense and yeah let's get to the good things how does value work because i guess an an important part of the product is allowing the migrant workers in Colombia to cash in their Colombian pesos into their value account. And then on the other hand, the recipient of the money in this family in Venezuela, they need to be able to cash out the money in their value account into uh, Bolivares. So uh, can you describe that whole process? Yes, of course. Um, so for, for us, we, we built a partnership with payment processors in Colombia which allows people, migrants in Colombia, to pay us via debit, credit, or even in cash. And in Latin America, cash is king. So it's really common that these payment processors partnered with basically cash payment networks, which are like uh, mom and pop shops uh, that are spread throughout the country. And through this partnership, we have 35,000 locations in Colombia where people can just go with their with their money and, and with the number that we give them in the app, they just pay. So users for users it's really really simple to to pay and once we get the the colombian pesos in our bank account we buy bitcoin and then we sell that bitcoin in venezuela essentially it's like buying and selling bitcoin that's kind of like the simple explanation of, of what we do we of course have a, a another a, a few systems on, on trading and treasury which allows us to hedge our bitcoin volatility and manage risk correctly and um And that's basically a f how you complete a fiat to fiat uh, remittance, um, which is converting Colombian pesos into Venezuelan bolivars. But uh, recently, and since day one, we knew that we needed to give dollars in Venezuela because by giving bolivars on the other end, you're, we, we always knew it was an incomplete solution because bolivars are hyperinflated. So the recipient would have to basically run and spend that money as soon as they got they got that money because the next day they will have less purchasing power with the same amount of money so so this is something that we knew we needed to fix and the only way to fix that was through providing dollars in venezuela instead of bolivars and so luckily we developed this this new system recently and what we're doing for that is that um, instead of 
selling directly the Bitcoin in Venezuela so that people uh, send the bolivars to the recipient. We're basically converting Bitcoin into a synthetic dollar by doing trading on, on Bitcoin derivatives, futures, perpetual swaps, essentially cash and carry trades and, and something that is called dollar neutral strategies. And so what this allows us to do is to stabilize our Bitcoin to the dollar price and we just translate this exposure, this synthetic exposure to the user but what they're actually holding is Bitcoin in the back, but they see dollars. And mm -hmm. one of the things that, that we have really been keen on, um, my background is in the industrial design, and I, I guess that's one of the reasons I'm passionate about UX and UI, but our users really never know that we use cryptocurrencies. They, if they want to send the remittance, they basically say, how much they're going to send, who are they sending the money to and they, they pay and in less than 30 minutes, the money's in the family's bank account. And if they wanna get dollars, they basically pay in less than two minutes, they have their dollars in their phones and they can send these dollars to their families uh, with a couple of clicks. So really, so the abstraction of the cryptocurrency is something important, but in the back end we use, we're essentially building and using crypto infrastructure to provide these financial services. So you have a dollar that is backed by Bitcoin, similar to how the dollar used to be backed by gold or something. And so the recipient receives a virtual dollar. So they see a dollar in the, in the value account. And as long as they want to be secure and not kind of exposed to the inflation risk of, of the Bolivar, they keep that money that they received in their value account. And then in the moment they want to spend it for everyday expenses, then they convert it into Bolivares, but just really in that minute or second before they want to spend their money. Is that correct? That is that's correct. Basically, with this dollar product, we're essentially we are still doing remittances, but now it's in dollars and the recipient is basically able to protect himself from inflation and his money from inflation by just keeping it in value. And like you correctly said, uh, they just basically have to cash out whatever they need to spend for the day. And, and this is kind of like the, the next step, but moving forward, we're going to be enabling merchant accounts in Venezuela, which allows people to pay directly with value. And then we're going to be keep on building more and more products that support each other and that essentially give more utility to the value dollar so that in the future, people don't need to cash out into this hyperinflated uh, fiat currency. And currently, how does the cash out process look like? Is it the same as on the cash inside in Colombia where they can go to a store and get physical banknotes or is it something else? Um, basically, the, the, the cash out is, so like I mentioned in Venezuela, everybody has a bank account. So the, the money, uh, they just basically input their information on their bank account. And, and, and once you click there, what we do is that we take that Bitcoin that is the dollar and then we sell it in Venezuela through a peer-to-peer -peer exchange where somebody basically is buying crypto from us and it's, trans it's, it's transferring the local fiat to the, to the person who did the cash out. Okay. Uh, and it's almost like a decentralized way to do cash outs. And it really works uh, really well. We've done, I think, over 120,000 since we launched nine months ago. And it's, it's been working just fine. So that's one, one, one way to do it. Is, is, there, is there a guarantee that you always find a buyer on the peer-to-peer -peer exchange almost instantly because so you have those those bitcoin and then uh, you want to find basically a, a buyer in venezuela who can pay bolivares into the recipient's bank account so that must happen quite fast right is, is that a challenge 
Yeah, uh, it's it, it's actually quite fast. It's really not a challenge as of today because there is a lot of liquidity in these peer-to-peer exchanges. So the system and the way it works today, it, it really works uh, works really well. Cool, cool. Yeah, and, and one question that I had when I read about this whole system, why didn't you use a stablecoin, for example, such as Tether or USDC? So those are Ethereum-based tokens. They also have quite some liquidity. I think Tether has a market cap of, of 10 billion, a USDC of like two or three billion. What, what was the obstacle there? Yeah, so we were going to use USDT, Tether, because in reality, what basically trumps over everything uh, from first principles is, is the liquidity. Um, and so even though a lot of people say, you know, Tether is, you know, it's not fully, fully backed and it's fractional, and it, it has maintained its value in $1. So we were going to use the, uh, USDT, but at the end, we decided to build our own synthetic dollar because three three basic things. First one is that most of these stable coins don't, are not giving enough yield to be an uh, interesting revenue opportunity for us or for the users. And, and it's dramatically dropping you know, the yield that uh, stable coins give it's dropping dramatically from where, where they started. You know, some stable coins like USDC are directly tied to, to the Fed. And re- legally, we cannot offer a stable coin that is backed in, in US dollars because only a regulated financial institution can access those dollars through the central banks of the local countries here in Latin America. And, but you're not allowed to provide dollar accounts to users of, of euro dollars, of uh, federal dollars. So we have to really cho- like we have to choose a, an algorithmic uh, stablecoin. So we started looking at Celo, at looking at Maker, but those were not very liquid. And we started studying these uh, synthetic dollars. And we actually met Sid Ramesh, who, who used to work at Dharma, and he started teaching us more and more about this. Um, so we, we found that the derivatives market has extreme liquidity. I think over $20 billion that are being traded on a daily basis because, the, because of the fact that it's on Bitcoin uh, and Bitcoin is quite liquid with fiat pairs in Latin America. It worked really well for us to just having a quick way to on an off ramp, which is important. So we usually on, on an off ramp through Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, the most, it's the most liquid. So by by using bitcoin as our as our collateral for the synthetic dollar it was just a quicker way to to do this and through these derivatives we can make uh, six to eight percent apr um on revenue just by getting the funding rates and finally because it's bitcoin it's it's basically backed in a cryptocurrency which is not is considered a digital asset legally we could legally provide dollar accounts for people and so this was obviously the way to go however if you know, there's any anybody that's uh, on a stablecoin company that is listening. We are fans of uh, stablecoins as well. It's not that we're doing this because we are like Bitcoin maximalists or whatever. It's just kind of like for from first principles, it, it was the right choice at this moment. But we're also looking to include stablecoins in our treasury management and our trading strategies because you know sometimes the market is in contango which is great for us sometimes the market is in backwardation mm-hmm. and when it's backwardation we need to to move into stable coins and we can also do a lot of hedging strategies with stable coins and btc contracts so yeah, yeah. i think i think that's uh, very good to hear because when i read about the fact that you're using bitcoin i thought 
okay, there must be Bitcoin uh, maximalists, but um, your explanations make a lot of sense. So it's, it's one, the regulatory risk that is associated to using a centralized stablecoin and also the, the, the business model risk. So stablecoins currently depend on uh, high yields from the, from the Fed, but those yields are um, decreasing. So it's not sure whether stablecoins will always continue to exist or in what form. And uh, the decentralized stablecoins that exist today, like DAI or Silo, are um, yet not there yet in terms of liquidity in, in uh, Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And one, one question that I had regarding the merchant. So you, you said that in the future you want to create a merchant network in Venezuela that will allow uh, the recipients in Venezuela to basically spend their synthetic dollars at, at, at merchants. Are those merchants stores, physical retail stores, or more like online online websites? Or what, what, what is your target there? Yeah. So as a company in general, we we kind of like our mission is to, is to bring financial prosperity for, for people. So we're very much focused on, on a target market that is a middle class, middle to low class. And most of these people usually shop or buy food um, in, in smaller mom and pop shops, I would say, than like the big retailers. And so we're initially going to target this uh, small mom and pop shops, even like what we call apuestos, which is like a small cart in the, in the street where people sell hot dogs or where people sell arepas, which is our local breakfast dish. And, and so we're going to be targeting those people initially because they don't really need anything else from what the features of our product already has, which is they need to receive their payments in a stable asset, which is the value dollar. And then they need a way to convert it to bolivars so that they can pay taxes if they have to pay taxes or that they can spend those bolivars in other places that still don't accept dollars. And we already have that feature to basically convert value dollars into bolivars. So we're going to be targeting them initially. And we actually already have a partnership in which we're going to open 17,000 merchants and with the same app, we're just going to be enabling a QR feature um, that they're going to be hopefully printing and putting in their, in their, in their puesto, in their little cart and people can just come with value and, you know, scan their QR and, and pay. And so that's going to be something that we're going to be heavily investing in for the next months. So that's one. And the second one would be targeting big retailers like Farmatodo. You can think of those as the CVSs or the targets of, of, of Venezuela. But th- those, those big retailers usually want to have their money in U.S. dollars in a bank account in the U.S. So the reason why we're going to tar- target them a little bit further down the road is because we need that off-ramp into the U.S. And we're already working on that, but uh, we, that's another service that we can charge for. It's like, well, we can accept value dollars in Venezuela. It's a medium of payment. You'll have your business account where you can track all of that. And then if you, if you want to convert it to U.S. dollars, you click here, we charge you X amount of money, and, um, and, and then you have your dollars in the U.S. So how do these merchants react to your product? Are they just waiting for a solution to their problem and... Uh, super happy that you guys exist or is it a hard sell no it's um it's, it's really not a hard, hard sell it's um i don't know if they're like you know dying for us to exist the reality is that in venezuela you know they everybody's trying to, to survive yeah even though it sounds like super kind of uh dramatic, dramatic yeah but um 
but it, it, it is like that. So, you know, in Venezuela, you'll see people accepting, you know, these small merchants accepting payments in cryptocurrency. You know, Dash has been in Venezuela for quite a while. And, and, and you see some people accepting Dash, some people accepting even Bitcoin, Pagomobile, which is kind of like a, our local Venmo. Um, people accept payments in Pagomobile, in Bolivars still. And, and the other one is cash dollars. And so uh, what we're bringing to the table is like, you know, now you can accept dollars, which is the best thing. People want dollars in, in Venezuela, right? And the, that's the best way to get paid. Give me some cash dollars. But the reality with cash dollars is that they keep on stacking them and they stack them and they stack them and it's really, really uh, dangerous because it, you know, incentivizes crime because everybody knows that the only medium of payment that is not getting inflated is dollars and that is in cash. So, you know, crime is on the rise as well. And, um, and so what we're giving people is the option of saying, hey, just, you know, print a QR code and get paid in dollars, which is the same thing as the cash. And, and then it, it's safer unless they steal your phone. But, um, but we also have some security measures for that. And that's what we're bringing to the table. And hopefully it'll create a, a lot of benefits for, for mm -hmm. people. And, and those merchants don't face a risk from the government for accepting cryptocurrency because you, you're saying that Dash and other crypto and Bitcoin and, and stuff have been existing in the country for a while and it's kind of tolerated by, by the government or how does it work? Yeah, yeah, the government um, really, I guess they really don't care anymore. They're just, they basically destroyed the country to the point where they, uh, we have a, a crypto institution just Just to mention that, it's called the Suna Crip. So if you want to get regulated in Venezuela under the dictatorship, you can do that. And in general, I guess the country is supportive of crypto as long as you get uh, regulated. It's, it's not something that they're, they're looking to, to shut down. I think now the Venezuelan government, it's in a situation where everything is so, so bad that they're just trying to survive even them, the government. Yeah, so, gotcha. Yeah. And how do you market your product? Are you more trying to market it in Colombia on the sender side or more in, in Venezuela to uh, families, uh, well, the recipients of the money? Because you really have the two-sided product, right? You have the, the senders and the receivers. Who, who do you think is more useful to gain as a customer first? So in, initially we started with the senders here in Colombia. And now with, with this dollar product, we are finally starting to serve the recipients because like I mentioned before the dollars, people would get their money in a, in a bank account in Bolivar's like a fiat remittance. And so the recipient in Venezuela, he didn't interact with our product and he magically got that money in their bank account. Now, what we're doing is that with dollars, if you need, if you want to accept dollars in Venezuela and get those dollars from your family, uh, that is sending them from Colombia, you have to download our app. So now we're targeting the, the recipients as well. And usually one sender has about three recipients. So we're really, really optimistic about what's going to happen in the next few months, which is acquiring at least double or triple our, our monthly active users with this new dollar product. And even if we're sending a fiat remittance to somebody in Venezuela where that doesn't have our product yet, we're sending them, a, we integrate it with WhatsApp, and then we're sending them a WhatsApp message saying, hey, You just got this money from your family, from Luis, from Colombia. Next time, if you want to get dollars, you can download our app here and just tell Luis to send you dollars. And so that's kind of like the, the strategy. And uh, because of these people, basically because of this shift to, to dollars, we're seeing our, our metrics of Colombian pesos to Bolivars start to drop. And we're seeing our 
metrics of Colombian pesos to value dollars and value dollars to bolivars started to quickly take the shape of a hockey stick. <laughs> so, yeah. And talking about users, maybe can you share some stats, how many users you have, but also the typical user profile. Are those more kind of educated, wealthy people who live in Colombia? So on the center side, or is it really the, the, the really poor and unbanked? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a tough question because most of our users are, they, they have blue collar jobs. You know, we have mall clerks, we have uh, couriers, delivery couriers. Uh, some of them, we also have people that work in logistics, you know, a little bit more blue, co blue collar. These were people that were used to be kind of like middle class in, in Venezuela. And now they're in a, in a, in a worse situation, worse socioeconomic uh, situation. But a lot of them actually had education in Venezuela we had really good public education. And so most of these people, we have a, an interesting sh uh, shift of social classes that it's, it's dropping, you know, like if you used to be well, now you're worse and social classes are, are moving down and, and your purchase power. And so that's happening. If you are in a lot of these people are actually unbanked, you know, people that are in blue colors, they're still unbanked. But then you have the refugees. So the refugees, which is my my what I think you're referring to, refugees are in a really really bad situation. Those are kind of like the people that were already in really bad situation in Venezuela and then came to Colombia, and you know they're getting help from UNHCR and, and mm -hmm. these uh, refugee uh, help institutions. And those are basically not, not the people that we can help today, and not the people that we are basically serving to make money today. However, to, to help them, we, we built what we call value.org. And it's basically a way for, we're building it as, as we speak. Uh, it's a way for uh, donors to donate money to, to Venezuelan migrants or to or people living in Venezuela through our app. And we'll deliver these dollars to their accounts. And we can even track how they're spending it, where they're spending it. And this is what, we, what, what we've been hearing from the direct transfers um, institutions is that this is the most important thing. Most of the times, these institutions cannot track where they're, where they're spending the money, and that's something that they want to know. And through value, we can. So uh, we're building that as well for, for the refugees. That's really, really cool. I'll really try it out afterwards. If, if that's, is that something I could do, or is it only available to people in Colombia? So remitting to those refugees. That is something you could do. So right now, we're in the process of opening a... I think it's 501c. It's a type of company that allows us to, to make these donations. So we're Alejandro Machado, who is our head of research. He founded with Gil Carlson uh, the Open Money Initiative. Alejandro is leading that project and he's opening a, a company where allows us to receive these donations. And, and so you, hopefully we're going to be enabling that in our website and you and anybody could potentially donate and we'll take care mm -hmm. of the, the funds and, and sharing how, how these things are, are being uh, spent. And I guess if you serve these people, you must be building the product with different constraints in mind than Western apps, because I know that the internet speed in those countries is much slower and probably they're using also low end devices. So not like the new smartphone. So I did, how, how do you tackle this problem? Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a big limiting factor for us in terms of like the product. So, but you know, we're happy to do, to do so. Our product is, is the weight is 14 megabytes, which is, is very, very low. And just so that it runs in, in these low quality smartphones, 
and that it's also that people can download it. Uh, not only that it runs, but that they also have space to, to download this app. So that's basically the main constraint. Really, it's just the wait. Internet, not as of today. We're going to be working on a few features where people could potentially uh, use value without internet or start, you know, at least sending the dollars between value users without internet. But if we want to do cash-ins or cash-outs, we, we usually do need uh, do need internet. And so luckily there's many, many in Colombia, we're, we're of course, we're, we're good with that. In Venezuela, the internet, it is a problem, but more and more you're seeing projects bringing internet to Venezuela, which is definitely something that we're happy about. You know, one of the projects that, Apparently, it's already happening in Venezuela. It's Elon Musk's Starlink. Some people are, are, are trying it over there. And uh, hopefully, more and more companies and institutions will keep on working on solving this problem. Okay. I see you have thought about everything. Maybe to finish, how is it looking today in terms of the team? How, how big are you? And do, uh, do you have some expansion plans to other countries uh, in Latin America? Because you mentioned that Venezuelans don't only live in Colombia, but also um, in other in other parts of Latin America. They probably face similar issues, and yeah, maybe also in terms of fundraising. Wh where are you today? Yeah, so in terms of fundraising, we 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 raised 1.25 million back in in Q4 of 2019, after we went through through Y Combinator uh, last year. And, um, and we're actually right now in the middle of, of a seed, seed round. Uh, last year was a pre-seed. And as of today, we're really still just going to be focusing in Colombia and Venezuela because we have, as of today, 8,000 monthly active users. And our next milestone is to get to 100,000 monthly active users after this round. So like I mentioned, in, in Colombia, there's 1.7 to 2.5 million migrants. So there's a lot of market here to keep on expanding. And now that we're offering dollars in Venezuela as well, we're basically targeting those those two two countries. And if you if you think about it, it's two full countries that can potentially um, well one full country which is Venezuela and, and all these migrants that we can potentially serve is is really unattended an unattended market. So uh, we're gonna just keep on focusing here, and then we're gonna be expanding once we decide so to Peru, basically following the diaspora. Where are the countries that have the largest diaspora and the countries where that have also high liquidity in cryptocurrency, Peru is also on the rise in that end. Chile, uh, Argentina, and uh, and so we're gonna be expanding to the countries where there's Venezuelan migrants and helping them send money back home, even, even Brazil as well, but very strategic from that end because we're gonna be only targeting a market that is injecting this liquidity into value dollars and sending it back to Venezuela. But once we decide to offer this product with cashings and cash ups to the local populations of Colombia, Peru, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, we're already in those countries established and we just have to make a few a few changes in products and then we'll, we'll be able to hopefully fulfill our mission to dollarize Latin America. All right. I'm a really big, big fan of your product and had lots of great, great insights. Um, how can people help you who are listening to this, you know, in, who may be in Europe or, or the US? Uh, you mentioned this value.org where people can donate. Is there any, any other thing that people can do to help your company? Yes. If you guys are interested to donate, please let me know at Twitter, maybe at Simon Value. Value is V-A-L-I-U and or just write to us at our Twitter value CO, uh, value co, and we'll try to direct you with Alejandro Machado, who is uh, leading that project of the donations and, and he'll be basically 
working with anybody that wants to donate. Um, so that's one way. And yeah, I think that's that's the, the most important thing that we can do to, to, to help and support. Awesome. Thank you, Simon. Speak soon. All right. Thank you, Lito. Take care. Hey, it's me again. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please feel free to share it with your friends and family or give us a follow on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you have some feedback, reach out to me. I'd love to hear it. <laughs>